to you. Leviticus chapter 13 this evening. Sunday nights through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. In chapters 13 and 14, then they really address the same subject. They're two of the longest chapters in the entirety of the Bible. But the Lord moves from his laws having to do with um, uh, diet and, and holiness related to diet and then, and then holiness related to childbirth and all to laws having to do with the diagnosis and the treatment of leprosy and uh, this word that's used uh, for leprosy in these two chapters it includes leprosy but it also uh, can um, you know speak of a, a much larger group of infectious diseases and as you uh, might imagine I mean we look at how uh, dangerous infectious diseases are to us today open sores these kind of things a lot of you know we've got the uh, Ebola virus that breaks has been breaking out in Africa and now it's just kind of always broken out but it's just a matter of where that is is happening and a body just kind of dissolves right before your eyes over a matter of of days and so in ancient times there were a, uh, there were a lot of um, diseases that would be spread they would manifest themselves in and ulcerated skin and sores and things and while we would read maybe chapter 13 and 14 maybe some of you have never read it before and you'll read it and say wow uh, oh, I, have, I hope God speaks to me in my devotional life when I read it on some morning and to know what in the world that's about but you put yourself in the place of a priest in those days and uh, here they are in the land of Canaan, the priests among God's people. And uh, there is an outbreak of leprosy. And leprosy was, at that time, it, it was an incurable disease. We call it Hansen's disease today. And while we're not able to cure it, we're able to arrest its progress and, and cause it to go dormant in a human life so that it, it doesn't do what it used to do. But it was... A, it was um, a incurable disease or any of the diseases that were going on in those days start to spread maybe into Israel and you can imagine how thankful the priests would have been to be able to turn to these chapters and say alright help us Lord to know how to treat this we are not smart enough to avert a plague uh, or, or this kind of a thing among our people we need your wisdom and boy I'll tell you they'd make a beeline to chapters 13 and 14 and be thankful for them so leprosy it was a, 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 a un, one of the most feared diseases if not the most feared disease uh, in the ancient world a very common event uh, and one of the reasons you and I are even um, you know aware of this thing called leprosy on any level at all is simply because we're Christians and we're quite aware in, in the New Testament of how often Jesus cleansed lepers of their leprosy he was always doing that one of the interesting things when you read the New Testament and Jesus when he would cleanse a leper of their leprosy it was it is never ever not once spoken of as healing them of their leprosy it is always spoken of as cleansing their leprosy. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the reason for that is that in the Bible, leprosy is leprosy physically, but it all is also a spiritual picture of sin. It's a type 
of sin in the scriptures. And uh, so sin isn't something that gets cured in this life. It is something that gets cleansed. One day when we go into heaven, we'll be com- uh, uh, cured completely related to this sin nature. But in the meantime, uh, we need cleansing. In terms of the fact that sin is a condition that requires cleansing, Paul wrote to the church at Corinth and he said, But you were washed but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. Paul wrote to Titus, and uh, he said, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He has saved us through the washing of regeneration. The washing, speaking of our sin, washing away our sins, and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. John wrote in the book of Revelation, And he declared, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who has loved us and washed us from our sins, in his own blood and has made us kings and priests to our God and Father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever and I think as we go through this passage and we'll do it uh, quite rapidly this evening I think we'll see a very very strong God intended uh, connection between leprosy and sin so he begins now with how to diagnose leprosy and then how to uh, treat uh, that diagnosis among uh, God's people. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, When a man has on the skin of his body a swelling, that is an an inflammation, something, uh, a wound that is, is infected, a scab or a bright spot, and it becomes on the skin of his body like a leprous sore, Then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons the priest. And the priest shall examine, and I want you to take note of that word examine. The priest shall examine the sore on the skin of the body. And if the hair on the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a leprous sore. Then the priest shall examine him and pronounce him unclean and so the diagnosis is that he has leprosy we see this now as a picture of of sin uh, uh, leprosy has certain characteristics we're going to see repeated over and over again but one of the first characteristics that we read about leprosy that we also know is true about sin is that it goes deeper than the skin. That word, uh, that phrase, if it's deeper than the skin, if it's deeper than the skin, repeated 13 times in the two chapters. And of course, sin uh, goes much deeper than sin, uh, skin. It's, sin is, you know, not skin deep. And this speaks to the fact, as the Bible teaches, is the fact that we have a sin nature as descendants of, of Adam and Eve. Every single one of us, the Bible teaches, is much worse than anything we ever say or we ever do. The sin nature that is is inside uh, of us. And, and our sin nature goes much deeper than anybody realizes or anybody can see from the surface appearances that, that we, we make. And so, because it's not a surface problem in our life, it's a, a deep, deep uncleanness in our lives. Jeremiah wrote, and, and uh, he said that 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? That's the condition of man's heart from God's vantage point. Uh, Jesus spoke and he said, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. These actions come out of a sin nature. Something that is very, very deep and entrenched in the human life. Paul wrote this in Romans chapter 7. It's fairly lengthy. I'm not going to elaborate with this depth, by the way, uh, through the two chapters. Uh, so we won't need to order pizzas in tonight. But it's, it's a lengthy passage, but it's worth kind of hanging with me on it. He, he said, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. Paul, what are you talking about? Yes. He said, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I don't practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do but the evil that I don't want to do that I practice now if I do what I will not to do it's no longer I who do it but sin that dwells in me talking about the depth of that sin nature in us I find in a law that evil is present with me the one who wills to do good for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members O wretched man that I am who will deliver me from this body of death I thank God through Christ Jesus, he said, and then moves on to speak of Jesus as the solution to that. Then, and so this person was to be pronounced unclean and then be put out of, of the camp and because uh, until they could further diagnose, you know, here in, in verse 3, they're immediately diagnosed as being a leper. Then some, were, some uh, 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 conditions were a little harder to identify and they wanted to be very, very thorough, not to condemn someone and put them out of the camp if they had something other than leprosy. So he continues in verse 4. But if the bright spot is white on the skin of his body and does not appear to be deeper than the skin and its hair has not turned white, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the sore seven days. And the priest shall examine him on the seventh day and indeed if the sore appears to be as it was, there's no improvement but it's not getting worse and the sore is not spread on the skin, then the priest shall isolate him another seven days. So seven more days to see which way is this open sore and, and this uh, uh, discoloration going to go and then the priest shall examine him again on the seventh day and indeed if the sore has faded which would be a sign of, of healing and the sore has not spread on the skin then the priest shall pronounce him clean it's only a scab and he shall wash his clothes and be clean but if the scab shall at all spread over the skin after he has been seen by the priest for his cleansing he shall be seen by the priest again and if the priest sees that the scab has 
has indeed spread on the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean its leprosy. So a standard wound that any of us get, the body begins, the immune system begins to work on it. There's going to be healing in that situation. If, there is, if the wound is enlarging itself, uh, and it's not because of additional trauma to the body, then it's a sign that some, some disease has taken over the body and all, and they were to be isolated. Now, um, it's very interesting because here you have uh, preventative medicine in the ancient world, and what preventative medicine in the face of leprosy or these kind of diseases, part of it involved the examination of the disease. If the person did have the disease, then they were removed from... Uh, being active members of the, of the larger part of the nation. They were taken out of the camp, isolated from those that were healthy. Now today, of course, um, we are in the United States of America and in really much of, of the world, uh, people's individual rights are elevated above what is best for the large larger population. So we don't like isolation. We don't like quarantining people. Uh, we like to deal with things with drugs and these kinds of, of things and, and all. But even we today, uh, I think any of you in the medical profession, anybody that follows even the um, profession, but in, and anyone that follows the news at all, realizes how fragile our margins are uh, in terms of a plague or a dem epidemic not maybe beginning in the United States but beginning somewhere else and taking over the whole world and, and part of it is because we have been afraid to impinge upon the rights of the individual we've elevated that above the health of the whole and so we see that an entire generation of antibiotics for instance um, they are, uh, you know, the, the diseases that are developing are able to just, uh, they don't respond to the antibiotics except the strongest, strongest, strongest ones which we're using more and more frequently and if these uh, bugs and viruses jump that final line of defense then we have nothing with which to fend them off and part of it is because, for instance, even with tuberculosis we, we don't monitor that very well uh, in the Western world, we give people their drugs that they're supposed to take in order to get over their tuberculosis, and then we leave it up to them most often to decide whether they'll take the full medical regime or not. And uh, and if they stop midway, then that tuberculosis inside of them finds a way to become stronger without having been killed by the antibiotics, becomes a stronger version, and then and so forth and so forth until uh, we're medically not able to deal with things. It is um, not inconceivable that even within our lifetimes that we could see something break out worldwide in terms of plague. Isn't this perky? Aren't you glad you came? But I mean to where it could break out, cross these lines, and then, um, you know, thinking that we're so smart that we wouldn't want to, you know, take anybody's individual rights and, and, and sacrifice them for the good of the larger whole and find ourselves running back to the Old Testament and saying, no, there has to be... 
identification, careful. Now you're going to see this is very, very careful diagnosis of, of disease, but then an isolation of it. And going back to do that, we know tremendous plague and disease are going to break out in the last days in, in this world, as the Bible teaches. But that has to do with the, um, the last days in, in terms of the great tribulation will be raptured by then. But uh, just wisdom that's here in, in His Word. And I'll tell you, a wisdom in His Word that we're just uh, one or two outbreaks away from coming back and, and fully appreciating it and, uh, you know, looking at it with a great, greater respect once again. Verse 4. So, uh, um, all right, we already got through verse 8. We, we better not uh, move backwards on this at all, uh, shall we? Now, it, it's interesting that when you have, in terms of looking at this leprosy and in ways that sin uh, is, is like leprosy, we see in verses 7 and 8, like leprosy, sin spreads. It starts small, but it, it doesn't stop spreading until it takes over a whole body. Sin, sin does that, uh, doesn't it? I mean, the, the, uh, James writes about the fact that, uh, uh, th- don't be deceived, that sin, and when it's fully grown, it brings forth death. It, it, it'll, it takes over a whole life. Like leprosy, sin is incurable. Uh, by uh, by man, and uh, in fact, in, in those days, it was a living death. Again, Paul, when I read to you in Romans chapter 7, he said, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death, this, this body that is so addicted to my sin and so loving my sin. Also, interestingly enough, uh, like leprosy, Sin attacks the cooler part of the body. And, and leprosy like to attack the nervous system of a body. But where it really liked to concentrate in a body was not in the vital organs, not initially, um, because everything is too warm in the center of the body. Where it would attack the body is at ex- its extremities, in terms of it, the hands and the feet, where the body was coolest. And uh, one of the, you look in your uh, Christian life, any area, of your life that gets cool, there is not a zeal for God, a fire for God, then that's where sin wants to attack us and entrench itself in in our lives. And the defense for that is, as the Bible says in so many places, to be zealous for God, to be red hot on fire for God. Being zealous for God protects us from more things than we we realize. And then also, uh, like leprosy, sin leads uh, to death. So it not only takes over a body, but it leads to death. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is, is death. Again, James declaring that sin, even on a, not speaking of a spiritual level, but on, on a physical level, it leads to death. Now, verse 9. And when the leprous sore is on a person, he shall be brought to the priest. And the priest shall examine him. And indeed, if the swelling on the skin is white, and it has turned the hair white, and there is a spot of raw flesh in the swelling. So now he moves to different kinds of characteristics of a skin disease. It is an old leprosy on the skin 
of his body. The priest shall pronounce him unclean and shall not isolate him for he is unclean. So if the priest sees this immediately, there's no, when he says you shall not isolate him, you say, what do you mean don't isolate him? Isolate him. Uh, what he's saying is no seven day period of isolation to figure out whether this is really leprosy. He says move him out of the camp right now. This is full blown leprosy. And if the leprosy breaks out uh, all over the skin and the leprosy covers all the skin of the one who has the sore from his head to his foot wherever the priest looks then the priest shall consider and indeed if the leprosy has covered all his body he shall pronounce him clean who has the sore it is all turned white he is clean now that seems weird doesn't it his whole body's covered with leprosy get him out of here uh, but there is a there was a a form of leprosy or skin disease in those days that a person's whole body would turn white their skin would flake but it was not contagious in any way this is probably the kind of leprosy that Naaman the Syrian for those of you who know a little bit about the Old Testament remember he was healed of his leprosy cleansed of his leprosy by the Lord in the time of Elisha by dipping seven times in the Jordan River but he wasn't isolated he was a, a general a highest officer in the Syrian army he had maids he had a wife he had all of these things so he wasn't isolated in any way he had a leprosy that was uh, non-contagious and so this uh, these were the the characteristics of a non-contagious leprosy he was clean but when the raw flesh appears on him he shall be unclean so if an open sore develops on him then you got to take a look at that again and the priest shall examine the raw flesh and pronounce him to be unclean for the raw flesh is unclean it is leprosy or if the flesh raw flesh changes and turns white again he shall come to the priest and the priest shall examine him and indeed if the sore has turned white then the priest shall pronounce him clean who was sore uh, who has the sore he is clean so if the sore goes away now he's, he's clean once again now related to a boil you hate to be put in a leper colony if you just had a boil boils are bad enough uh, but if the body develops a boil in the skin and it is healed in the place of the boil and in the place of the boil there comes a white swelling or a bright spot reddish white then it will shall be shown to the priest and if the priest sees it indeed sees it it indeed appears deeper than the skin and its hair has turned white the priest shall pronounce him unclean it is a leprous sore which is broken out of the boil but if the priest examines it and indeed there are no white hairs in it and it is not deeper than the skin but has faded the boils getting better than the priest shall isolate him for seven days and if it should at all spread over the skin then the priest shall pronounce him unclean it is a leprous sore but if the bright spot stays in one place and has not spread it is the scar of a boil and the priest shall pronounce him clean so again we see their very very hard line when leprosy is diagnosed that it's it's dealt with with um, great swiftness and decisiveness but there's also great care on the part of the Lord uh, not to misdiagnose anyone and put anyone through anything more than they need to related to uh, a physical ailment or leprosy or if the body receives a burn on its skin by fire and so here we've got the examination of a 
the burn and the uh, raw flesh of the burn uh, becomes a bright spot, reddish, white or white. Then the priest shall examine it and indeed if the hair of the bright spot has turned white and it appears deeper than the skin, it is leprosy broken out in the burn. And therefore the priest shall pronounce him unclean, it is a leprous sore. But if the priest examines it, and indeed there are no white hairs in the bright spot, and it is not deeper than the skin, but has faded, then the priest shall isolate him seven days, and the priest shall examine him on the seventh day. If it is spread all over the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous sore. But if the bright spot stays in one place, has not spread uh, on the skin, but has faded, again a sign of healing, it is a swelling from the burn, the priest shall pronounce him clean, for it is the scar from the burn. Or if a man or woman has a sore on the head or uh, the beard. So here you have uh, examining in the case of a leprosore appearing in a hair-covered part of the body. Much more difficult to, um, if you've ever bumped your head or something, you know, on some, boom. I mean, uh, and... Uh, oh man and you try and find someone and say how big is the cut you know and you're looking they looking all over in your hair to try and find you know the mark it's, it's not easy to do okay I'm trying to find illustration I mean anybody have that happened to anybody on something like that okay great all oh, two of you God bless you uh, we have a gift for you uh, after the service but it is harder wouldn't it be to diagnose something that where it's under a beard or a head of hair or something like that so then the priest shall examine the sore and in Indeed, if it appears deeper than the skin, and there is thin yellow hair, never a good sign, then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a scaly leprosy of the head or beard. But if the priest examines the scaly sore, and indeed it does not appear deeper than the skin, and there is no black hair in it, then the priest shall isolate the one who has the scale seven days. And on the seventh day the priest shall examine the sore, and indeed if the scale has not spread, and there is no yellow hair in it, and the scale does not appear deeper than the skin, he shall shave himself, but the scale he shall not shave. And so the priest says, all right, let, let's shake, get off, shave off that beard, shave off all your hair except right where the sore is. We don't want to mess around with that. But then it would be easy for him to examine whether it had spread or not without feeling all the way through a, uh, someone's head of hair or, or their beards. He shall shave himself, but the scale he shall not shave, and the priest shall isolate the one who has the scale another seven days. On the seventh day the priest shall examine the scale, and indeed if the scale has not spread over the skin and does not appear deeper than the skin, then the priest shall pronounce him clean. He shall cleanse, wash his clothes and be clean. But if the scale should at all spread over the skin after his cleansing, then the priest shall examine him, and indeed if the scale has spread over the skin, the priest need not seek for yellow hair, he is unclean. But if the scale appears to be at a standstill, and there is black hair grown up in it, the scale is healed, he is clean, and the priest shall pronounce him clean. If a man or a woman has bright spots on the skin of the body, specifically white bright spots, then the priest shall look and indeed, if the bright spots on the skin of the body are dull white, it is a white spot that grows on the skin. He is clean. And, and I don't know, maybe somebody even in this room right now, it's not unusual, is it, to 
Sometimes you'll see someone and uh, they, um, you'll see a, a white blotch of skin where the, the pigment related to their, uh, uh, their skin and, and their skin color um, is, is another skin color all around it, but then there's just this patch of white and sometimes it's uh, you know, all over the place. And, and that is a, uh, I don't know what the name of the disease is, but it's very common and uh, it was uh, harmless in terms of any kind of a uh, transmission as an infectious disease so they didn't want anybody looking and saying that's leprosy it isn't leprosy it was something that was not dangerous at all as for the man whose hair has fallen out of his head he's bald but he's clean so from heaven's uh, from heaven's perspective that uh, it could be worse <laughs> you know, so it's it's not a a big cause for concern. So you you start a person starts to experience uh, head lo- uh, hair loss. Head loss would be very dangerous. <laughs> but uh, see, it can be worse. So, but th- there's a hair loss that can be a cause of tremendous alarm for some of us and and all. But. It's, it is, uh, it's not leprosy. So, but you could legitimately think, oh no, I'm losing my hair, do I have leprosy or something? He whose hair has fallen from his forehead, this is known as a receding hairline. He is bald on the forehead, but he's clean. <laughs> it's just, isn't this great how God puts things? And if, he, if, and if there is on the bald head or the bald forehead a reddish-white sore, it is leprosy breaking out on his bald head or his bald forehead. Then the priest shall examine it, and indeed if the swelling of the sore is reddish-white on his bald head or on his bald forehead as the appearance of leprosy on the skin of the body, he is a leprous man, he is unclean, the priest shall surely pronounce him unclean, Uh, his sore is on his head. Now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his uh, head bare, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. And so another one of the characteristics of uh, leprosy is that uh, it resulted in isolation. And he was, the leper was to warn anyone. Uh, I think that ultimately they devised something where they added it to the word of God here, but something like a hundred paces away if you saw someone approaching you, a leper had to declare themselves unclean, unclean, I'm a leper to keep anyone from coming near. to them. So in essence what happened is is that leprosy became your identity in the society. Uh, That's what everyone knew you for. You kind of ceased to be a human being like everyone else. I mean God's people shouldn't uh, view it that way but that's the way it would happen in society. That person is a leper. Okay that's all I need to know about it. And sin does the same thing to where sin can become so great in a person's life that it becomes their identity identity when people think about them they don't think about them as a human being anymore or anything like that all they can think about is the sin that has overtaken their life and is in control uh, of their life and has made them unclean made them unlike uh, the general population of of God's people and so and then it, it, it results in a in isolation there in verse 46 he shall be unclean all the days he has the sore he shall be unclean he is unclean and he shall dwell alone his dwelling shall be outside 
of the camp. And so uh, he would, uh, that's where he would live in what would typically become then a leper colony outside of the regular gathering of, of, of God's people and, and the children of Israel. So again is a, a picture of sin. Uh, sin excludes us. Uh, from intimate fellowship with God's people. It excluded them from being able to attend uh, the temple. And it's funny how once sin starts to get uh, an inroad in a person's life, what, you know, after a while what happens? Pretty soon you're seeing them at church once in a while. And then pretty soon you don't see them at all. And then in their mind, I don't need a church. I don't need to be around God's people. I got my own relationship with God. I can handle that on my own and everything. And they're just making excuses for how sin has taken over their life and they don't even realize it. And then pretty soon they don't have anything going on between them and God. And so it leads to this kind of, same kind of thing, how sin uh, operates in our lives. And ultimately what would happen is that a leper would end up surrounded, completely surrounded by only other lepers. And you see, sin does the same thing too, doesn't it? Where you look around, a person will get involved in maybe a drug abuse or alcoholism or uh, maybe in a gang and the violence or this kind of a thing. And they turn around one day and they look at all of their peers. They look at the, the subculture that they've become a part of and they're all lepers. They're all lepers just like them. And they're, they're completely different and, and disconnected, isolated from the people who are healthy in the society, God's people. And that's what sin does. It isolates us into those, those kind of, of camps. And it's very, very dangerous when, uh, when it does that. Now, the, the, the praise the Lord is, is that anyone can break away from that anytime they want. Say, I'm done with this. I'm done with this subculture. I'm done with hanging around this variety of leper. I'm done with the isolation of it. I don't like any of this. I want to walk with God. I want to be reintroduced into fellowship with God. I want to be around healthy people again. And a person can repent of their sin or repent of their backsliding and turn back to the Lord. And, and so that, that's what, there was the isolation. And, uh, and the isolation was needed in order to get their influence away from um, the the health of, of the larger whole. It, people become evangelists for their sin, don't they? I'm not talking about a backslider. I'm talking about somebody that's just in the world and then, you know, one day they're 16 years old or 18 years old or 25 years old and they stumble onto this sin. Someone typically kind of turns them onto it, excuse the expression on that, but, but introduces them to it. Wow, this is the greatest thing. And then what do they do? Their influence is then to pull people into that same thing themselves, and then they become people who pull in. It's a dangerous influence, whether physical leprosy or the leprosy of, of sin. So they were to be uh, isolated. Alone, dwell alone, his dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, in verse 47, he moves on to talking about uh, leprosy, uh, a leprous plague being found in our clothing. So he's talked about our bodies, he's talked about our life, now he's going to talk about our possessions, talk about clothing. Also, if a garment has a, a leprous plague in it, whether it is a woolen garment or a linen garment, whether it is in the warp or the woof of linen or wool, the warp and the woof are the cross fabrics that they would use in the loom for, for making fabric, whether in the leather or in anything made of leather. 
And if the plague that's found on these things is greenish or reddish in the garment or in the leather, whether in the warp or the woof or in anything made of leather, it's a leprous plague and shall be shown to the priests. And the priest shall examine the plague and isolate that which has the plague seven days. And he shall examine the plague on the seventh day if the plague has spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the woof, in the leather or in anything made of leather. The plague is an act of leprosy. It is unclean. What is he to do with a possession that is uh, infected with leprosy? He shall therefore burn that garment in which is the plague, whether warp or woof, in wool or in linen, or anything of leather, for it is an active leprosy. The garment shall be burned in the fire. That's the end of sin too, isn't it? So it, it was to be destroyed. If, if it spread on these garments, it meant it was alive. Now it needed to be burned in the fire. Now we're going to see in a moment that if, if, if they, they find some leprosy and it's not spreading, they would cut it out of the fabric or out of the garment, cut that piece out, and, and then try and retain the garment. To have a rug, to have a tent cover, to have a garment that was uh, made in this way, very, very valuable in those days. So you're talking about something now that has a fungus or a mildew or a mold on it um, and, and you don't want to lose that. It represents maybe the two or three most valuable things you have in, in life. And yet if it was spreading and it represented an active leprosy or some kind of, uh, of a disease on the fabric, it was to be burned no matter how valuable it was because of its greater danger to then spread everywhere else and ultimately destroy everything under, under its influence. So you see this radical handling of leprosy. It's to be burned. It's to be burned in the fire. No matter how valuable it is, it's to be destroyed. And it's a picture, of course, of sin, which speaks of us being ruthless with sin, destroying it, burning it, getting rid of it, whatever we need to do in order to preserve our moral or spiritual uh, uh, cleanness. Anything that would make us morally or spiritually unclean is fit only for the fire. One of the things when Paul talks in the New Testament in the book of, of Romans and he talks in this vein and he, he talks about through the Spirit mortifying the deeds of the body. And the word mortify means cold-blooded murder. Cold-blooded murder, not physically, but spiritually. Whatever, however ruthless I have to be to not feed my flesh something that is going to excite sin within me. I need a cold-blooded murder that thing. Get it out of my house. Get it out of my life. Whatever it takes. Because if I don't, it will overtake my life and it will destroy me. And I am to do that no matter how valuable it is. How invested in it I am. It is to be removed 
It's fit only for the fire. Paul wrote to the Colossians and he said, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, uh, covetousness, which is idolatry. And he talks about the fact that wrath is going to come upon the children of disobedience for these things. Anything that fosters these things, again excites these things in our lives, draws us into these things, great danger. And we're to be ruthless with them. You know why? Because be, they'll be ruthless with you. They will kill you and me. Sin will not stop in our lives until we stop it by the power of God, remove it and everything that feeds it in our lives, and if we are not ruthless with it, it will be happy to be ruthless with us and will be reduced to uh, nothing because of the sin. God knows what he's talking about. So it was to be destroyed, no turning back, get rid of it you know, uh, completely. And if the priest examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in the garment, either in the warp or in the woof or in anything made of... Uh anything made of leather, then the priest shall command that they wash the thing in which is the plague, and he shall isolate it another seven days, and then the priest shall examine the plague after it has been washed, and indeed if the plague has not changed its color, though the plague has not spread, it is unclean, and you shall burn it in the fire. It continues eating away, whether the damage was outside or inside. If the priest examines it, and indeed the plague has faded after washing it, then he shall tear it out of the garment, whether out of the warp or out of the woof or out of the leather. So you could save the remainder that's un uninfected. But if it appears again in the garment, either in the warp or in the woof or in anything made of leather, it is a spreading plague. You shall burn with fire that in which it is the plague. And if you wash the garment, either warp or woof, or whatever is made of leather, if the plague has disappeared from it, then it shall be washed a second time, and it shall be clean. This is the law of the leprous plague in the garment of wool or linen, either in the warp or woof, or anything made of leather, to pronounce it clean or unclean. Chapter 14. And then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, This shall be the law of the leper for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. The priest shall go out of the camp. The leper wasn't to be brought, even a cleansed leper, back into the camp without re-examination, the camp of the children of Israel. The priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall examine him. And if indeed, if the leprosy is healed in the leper, then the priest shall command to take for him who is to be cleansed two living and clean birds, cedar wood, scarlet, and hyssop. And the priest shall command that one of the birds be killed in an earthen vessel, so they would have this earthen pot, uh, kind of terracotta kind of pot. It would be filled with, with water. He talks about running water here, so they would take stream water. Running water was living water. It was stream water rather than pond water or cistern water. So they would put that in the pot. The one bird would be killed over that pot of running uh, living water and its blood would then pour into the water and you'd have a mixture of the blood and and the water as for the living bird he shall take it the cedar wood and the scarlet and the hyssop and dip them and the living bird in the blood of the bird that was killed 
over the running water. And he shall sprinkle then that blood and that water uh, seven times on him who is to be cleansed from the leprosy. Seven is the number of completion, so it speaks of a complete cleansing in his life. And shall pronounce him clean, and then shall let the living bird loose in the open field. And they let that bird loose and... You know, go flying off into the sky, and the cleansed leper would would watch uh, watch that happen. Now, the whole ceremony of the cleansing of the leper is, I mean, unmistakably, uh, God has intended that when we would look at the cross of Calvary, we would look back to this particular event. I mean, He's given it so much imagery from the from the two scenes, a picture of Old Testament picture of what Jesus would come into the world to do to cleanse our sins. First of all, you've got that first bird who is killed in an earthen vessel. And uh, Jesus was born into this world, the Bible says, in an earthen vessel, speaking of, of the human uh, body. And so he came in a human body, body made from the dust of the earth just like ours. John said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So he came in an earthen vessel because that's how he could die for our sins. He could not die in his uh, deity. So in that body, that earthen vessel, he died for our sins. Interesting thing is, is that birds don't belong in clay jars. Uh, birds belong in the heavens. It's a weird thing to have a bird in a, clay, in, a, in a clay jar. Jesus came down from heaven and was born into the world in this body. It is a weird thing. He is made for heaven. But he came and he did that in order to provide us with salvation. The scarlet piece of yarn speaks of Jesus' blood shed for our sins. Uh, while on the cross, you remember as we look at that hyssop that's represented here and was put into the blood and the water when Jesus hung upon the cross, the Holy Spirit is very careful to tell us that when that sponge of uh, water and vinegar was lifted up to his lips on the cross, it was lifted up by way of a hyssop plant. And then you have here the blood and the water mixed. And of course we remember as the centurion or as the Roman soldier came and he stuck that spear up under underneath Jesus' rib cage, and he pierced his heart and pericardium, his heart now, uh, the blood of his heart mixing with the water and the pericardium, water and blood pouring forth from that wound in his side. The cedar wood speaks of, of the cross. Two birds, why would it, there be two birds used? Why not just kill the one and, and go on about the business? Why two birds in this in this whole ceremony because it's impossible for one bird to bring forth all of the truth concerning Jesus and what he did for us uh, on, on the cross and what he came into the world to do that first bird that was killed symbolizes Jesus' death upon the cross for our sins that second bird that was let loose symbolized his resurrection from the dead and his ascension uh, into heaven so the gospel that we have isn't, isn't just the fact that Jesus Jesus died on the cross for our sins. That's a part of the gospel. 
The rest of the gospel is, is that he was buried and he rose again on the third day. And it took both birds in this Old Testament ceremony to encapsulate the one who would come and take care of the greater leprosy in our lives, and that is the leprosy called uh, sin. And as that leper would watch that bird fly away, you know, up into the heavens and, and all, his heart would just soar as he realized... I've been cleansed of my leprosy. I've been set free of my sin. And the Bible teaches that Jesus' resurrection declares the same thing to us regarding the, for our forgiveness of sin. Romans chapter 4 verse 25, speaking of Jesus, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. His resurrection from the dead reveals the fact that he had paid the full penalty for our sin and that that was accepted by heaven, accepted by uh, God. So very, very interesting. Now when you take this passage in, in Leviticus chapter 14 and you fast forward uh, 1500 years to the time of Jesus, we see Jesus um, cleansing people of their leprosy over and over and over again. And one of the things he would tell them is having cleansed them from their leprosy he would say now go to the priests the well, priests were in Jerusalem go to the priests tell them what God has done for you and then have them officiate this ceremony uh, uh, that involves the cedar wood and, and the two birds and the scarlet thread and the whole thing go have them do that now the interesting thing is, is that God takes and he puts a a right or a ceremony that's to be performed for the leper on the day of his cleansing when leprosy is a terminal disease. There was no cure for it in those days. Why in the world would he do that? So he puts it in his word and it just sits there for 1500 years and no priest, there is no record that any priest ever turned to Leviticus chapter 13 and 14 and performed the ceremony. He just sat there dead in the books. And then one day Jesus begins his public ministry and a stream of people are walking into Jerusalem asking for the high priest so that he will then perform the ceremony for them. You can imagine when the first couple of people came. So they're going to do this ceremony. Anybody know how to do this ceremony? I think it's in Leviticus somewhere. I don't have the slightest idea. Anybody's uncle or brother, I mean grandfather, great-grandfather, anybody remember anything about this? They have to dig through the whole book and try and find the place and figure out how to do it. And then Jesus kept sending people to them. And what was it intended to communicate? Messiah is here. Messiah is here. Messiah is here. Messiah is here. This isn't... Uh, business as usual on planet earth anymore. Someone is ex extraordinary is on the scene fulfilling sections of the Old Testament that no one could get near for 1500 years and no one has gotten near since the way that Jesus has. So really beautiful as it speaks uh, of the Lord. And he then who had been cleansed, verse 8, shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and then wash himself in water. So there was a cleansing that was involved now and before they were reintroduced into the general population. And uh, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So that he may be clean. After that, he shall come into the camp 
and shall stay outside his tent seven days. But on the seventh day he shall shave all the hair off of his head and his beard and his eyebrows, all his hair he shall shave off. He shall wash his clothes and wash his body in water and he shall be clean. It all symbolized what? A fresh start. A new start in life, just like Jesus gives us. And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish, one ewe lamb of the first year without blemish, three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour, mixed with oil as a grain offering, and one log of oil. These were all offerings he was to offer as a result of his cleansing. Each one of them, as we've seen, speaks of Jesus specifically. And then the priest who makes him clean shall present the man who is to be made clean and these things before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and the priest shall take one male lamb and offer it as a trespass offering and the log of oil and wave them as a wave offering before the Lord and then he shall kill the lamb in, uh, in the place where he kills the sin offering and the burnt offering in a holy place. For as the sin offering is the priest, so is the trespass offering. It is most holy. Having killed the lamb now, the priest shall take some of the blood of the trespass offering and the priest shall put it on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed on the thumb of his right hand and on the big toe of his right foot. And so, the, having been been cleansed now and, and all. This represented the leper's commitment now to use his cleansed condition for hearing God's ways, doing God's will, walking in God's path. And of course that is the same commitment we make as Christians having come to know the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 20 For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's our bodies and everything set aside Lord and now I want to live a life that is is uh, you know um, uh, that, that somehow is, is a proper response to the sacrifice that's been made for me that's what this represented and then the priest shall take some of the log of oil and pour it into the palm of his own left hand. Then the priest shall dip his right finger in the oil that is in his left hand, and he shall sprinkle some of the oil of his finger seven times before the Lord. And the rest of the oil in his hand, the priest shall put some on the tip of the right ear of him who is to be cleansed, on the thumb of his right hand, on the big toe of his right foot, and on the blood of the trespass offering. So the oil was then added uh, on top of the blood that had already been applied to his life. Oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit in the Bible and so all of this represented the, this man who had been cleansed that he wanted all of his thinking he wanted all of his doing all of his paths in life to be directed now by the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful picture of the Christian to live a life that is a proper response to Jesus' sacrifice for our sins and to live a life now that is directed by the Holy Spirit. And so the Old Testament picture of these New Testament truths that, that we enjoy and make us so rich. And the rest of the oil that is in the priest's hand, he shall put it on the head of him 
who is to be cleansed. So it was to be poured on him. I don't have time to get into the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it's there, not just applied to his life, but the oil now poured on him, the power to live a life for God and, and for Christ. And so it was to be put on the head of him who is to be cleansed. And so the priest shall make atonement for him before the Lord. And then the priest shall offer the sin offering and make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. Afterward he shall kill the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. And so the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. But if he is poor and cannot afford it, uh, these sacrifices, all of these animals and lambs, they cost a lot of money. Uh, then he was, and you can imagine that a person that had been cleansed of their leprosy probably didn't have deep pockets, uh, probably most of them poor. So God accommodates uh, for them. And he was to take one male lamb as a trespass offering. That remained whether you were rich, uh, you had wealth, or you were poor, to be waived to make atonement for him. One-tenth of an ephah of fine flour with oil as a grain offering and a log of oil. And then instead of the animals for the sin offering and burnt offering, the larger animals, he was to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. And again, uh, all the way down um, uh, through uh, verse 32 is basically a repetition now of the same things. The, the sacrifices made, the blood and the oil being applied to his life. Verse 33 this talks about the cleansing of a leprous house. And the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying when you have come into the land of Canaan, which I give you as a possession, and I put the, a, put the leprous plague in a house in the land of your possession, and he who owns the house comes and tells the priest, saying, it seems to me that there is some plague in the house, so some kind of a mold or mildew or something growing on the walls in the house. The homes were built of stone and, and uh, mortar in those, uh, in those days. And the priest, then the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes into it to examine the plague. Get all the furniture out so he can do a, a thorough examination. That all that is in the house may not be made unclean and afterwards the priest shall go in to examine the house. And he shall examine the plague and indeed if the plague is on the walls of the house with uh, ingrained streaks, greenish or, greenish or reddish, which appear to be, go deep into the wall then the priest shall go out of the house to the door of the house and shut up the house for seven days. And the priest shall come again on the seventh day and look. And indeed, if the plague has spread on the walls of the house, then the priest shall command that they take away the stones in which is the plague and they shall cast them into an unclean place outside of the city where nobody's going to come into contact with them. And he shall cause the house then to be scraped inside all around and the dust uh, and the dust that they scrape off shall they shall pour out in an unclean place outside of the city so again ruthless with this if it's there and it's dangerous you get it out of your house and then they shall take uh, other stones put them in the place of those stones and he shall take other mortar and plaster the house now if the plague comes back and breaks out in the house after he has taken away the stones, after he has scraped the house, and after it is plastered. Then the priest shall come and look, and indeed, if the plague has spread in the house, it is an, an act of leprosy in the house, it is unclean. He shall break down the house. <laughs> So 
You might get leprosy insurance in those days, right? He shall break down the house, its stones, its timbers, all of the plaster of the house, and he shall carry them outside the city to an unclean place. That house ceases to exist. They they break the whole thing down. And moreover, he who goes into the house at all while it is shut up shall be unclean until evening. And he who lies down in the house shall wash his clothes. And he who sits in the house shall wash his clothes. But if the priest comes in and examines it, and indeed the plague has not spread in the house after the house was plastered, then the priest shall pronounce the house clean because the plague is healed. And he shall... Take to cleanse the house two birds, cedar wood, scarlet and hyssop. He shall kill one of the birds in an earthen vessel over the running water. It's the same performing of the same ceremony. And he shall take the cedar wood, the hyssop, the scarlet, and the living bird, dip them in the blood of the slain bird and in the running water, and sprinkle the house seven times. And he shall cleanse the house with the blood of the bird and the running water and the living bird with the scarlet wood, the hyssop and scarlet, or cedar wood, the hyssop and the scarlet. Then he shall let the living bird loose outside the city in the open field and make atonement for the house. It shall be clean. This is the law for any leprous sore and scale, for the leprosy of a garment and of the house, for a swelling and a scab and a bright spot to teach when it is unclean and when it is clean this is the law of leprosy again we can look at it with in a variety of ways ourselves in terms of our level of interest but this would have been very very valuable to the priests in that day um, in in that culture the lesson for us here and it's a very important one I think a very very powerful one when you look at how careful they were to examine and the word examine is used over and over and over again to examine their personal lives to examine their personal possessions to examine their homes for even the tiniest bit of leprosy that might have been introduced into them and then the ruthlessness with which they handled them. When we partake of communion here in just a moment, the cracker that we're going to pass out, and as we pass the, 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 uh, the, the bread and as we pass the cup, hold on to them and then we'll pray together and partake together. But the bread is a symbol of Jesus' body, and the cup is a symbol of, of his blood. And, and here you have one of the great things about communion is that it's a retrospect, it's a remembering Jesus, looking back at how he saved us. It's a prospect, it's a looking forward to the fact that Jesus is going to return. But it is also an introspect. It is a time, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in the context of the Lord's Supper, and he said, if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged of God. And I think it's always good, every so often, to just stop in a place like this and ask about our own personal lives, about our personal possessions, what we own, what's loaded up on that iPod, what's loaded up on the computer, what's loaded up on the television, what's loaded up in the video camera. 
the the video uh, shelves in the house, what's loaded up in terms of books and literature and these kinds of things. And and then to look at uh, not only our possessions, but then at our home. Have we allowed a leprosy? What defiles us and defiles everyone else that comes into our house, including our families. And it's so easy sometimes, I think, especially for those of us as parents, we can sometimes get tired of fighting the battle over what gets allowed up on the walls in the kids' room and what gets to watch this and these things and, and all of this because it's a battle because the culture has one thing in mind for our kiddos and we have something else in mind for our kiddos and God has really something else in mind for our kiddos. And we can turn around and look and say, what in the world am I doing allowing those posters in my kid's house as a man of God and as a Christian father? I've let leprosy into my house. What am I doing? Putting a computer in their room and they're falling into sin every week on that computer. Why have I allowed leprosy into my house? Why have I made it unclean? And to just stop and look at our own individual lives tonight and anything that is defiling us of the world in our own personal lives, anything of our possessions that we own, video libraries, music libraries, anything that's conforming us that's ungodly in the world, and look at it and say, I'm not going to let this. It's a time to clean my life, to clean my possessions, to examine it, to clean house in, in, in my house, and to determine in the light of this sacrifice that was made for us not only to be saved and go to heaven, but to live a holy life and for our lives to be holy and for our homes to be holy and to just stop on a night like this and just let the Lord examine us for leprosy and then if he says yeah I want that to be gone to settle the issue of that tonight doesn't have to be some dramatic big public thing just happening between us and God say I get it this leprosy I get it I hear your voice out it goes And this is a good time for that kind of thing to happen. So as we pass the bread, let's let the Holy Spirit do that work in in our lives as we partake of communion tonight. No leprosy. Let's be just as zealous for the cleansing and the absence of sin in our lives as Christians as they were for the avoidance of leprosy, the far less dangerous thing in the Old Testament. So if the men will come forward, we'll... Pass communion out. Worship team, come forward. That would be great.